Our God is still the God who saved us. Yes, he is. Amen. 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 I think sometimes we lose that in the church. We got me, that was years ago, and now I've not seen it a whole lot, so maybe he's tired. No. No. We just got to be about it. You know? got to do it. And I just want to say that for us this morning. Uh, this morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, how we've been on a series the past few weeks, and uh, I, I believe, I, I don't know how you would say this, because who knows what will happen, but I believe this might be the last one of this series, and we're going to go to something else. That means you've got six more weeks of it. Congratulations. Um, but, um, man, I'll be honest. This series, this past few weeks, has kind of torn me up. Anybody else? Uh, I, I don't know. Like, Do we think about this Monday through Saturday? Because I do. Um, I do. And uh, luckily, I've had an extra day to deal with this. Uh, what we're about to say this morning um, I've taught a story numerous, numerous times, and uh, never, never like this. Um, it never occurred to me like this before. And I just say that because, man, this this book is is living. It is exactly what it says it is. You think you've heard it, and then come back to it, and you'll read it. It's like you've never read it before. Don't go with what you know. Go with what the page says. And if you'll do that, man, God will continue to reveal is amazing truth, because there's a depth to this, like no other story. Amen. Um, and this morning, we're going to be in Mark 10, and, uh, and we're going to talk about this man, the rich young ruler. You guys have heard about him, um, probably heard me preach it before he's been around for very long. Um, I love the story. But we've also been talking about, kind of in the context of this idea of the greatest pursuit, pursuit just being a word that means to chase something with the intent to catch it or grab hold of it. Pursuit is not a word that I'm really trying to talk us into together this morning, because the truth is we're all pursuing something. Amen? The truth of it is we're either pursuing Jesus or we're pursuing other stuff, or like the woman, we're pursuing other stuff and we're kind of tapping Jesus on the side. And this morning, uh, I, some of that, I believe, is going to hit home for some of us because, man, it's been just tearing me up um, for the past few days. This morning, we're going to be in Mark 10. And uh, Mark 10 starts out kind of the same way a lot of other chapters in the Bible do. Jesus is on a journey. Uh, it says that he set out from there, there being Capernaum, uh, this little uh, village, a seaside little village up on uh, the Sea of Galilee. It's a fishing village. It's in the very most northern part of Israel. And he's leaving uh, Capernaum, and he's going down to the region of Judea. This is in the very most southern part of uh, Jerusalem. I don't know why Jesus does this, but Jesus takes really long trips when Jesus is taking trips. I have no idea why, because he's got to walk, and that seems horrible. But he's doing that. Uh, he's leaving this village, Capernaum, and he's going down to Judea, and when he, as he does that, he goes across the Jordan, and, and when he does that, he gets in this town, and it says that crowds converge on him. I love that word, converge, I mean, It just shows the intensity that some of these people were following Jesus around in the woods with. It's, it's an amazing thing to me, actually. Everywhere Jesus goes, everywhere in the entire Bible, every time you see him, there's always a massive amount of people surrounding this man, Right? Okay, so uh, read your Bible this week. Um, every time you see Jesus um, going somewhere, there's always a lot of people surrounding Jesus, right? That's right. And, and he's, I think this is amazing for us because somehow we've got in our heads that Jesus is unpopular. 
We've, uh, the world's telling us, oh, nobody likes Jesus, nobody wants to hear about Jesus, nobody wants to know about Jesus. Well, that's obviously not true if you've ever read any of the Gospels, because every time Jesus shows up, people show up. Maybe the problem is Jesus just didn't show up. That's right. Amen? Like, we've got churches, but maybe Jesus is not showing up, because if Jesus is showing up, then people would show up. That's how that works, actually, every single time. And when Jesus shows up in this passage, and in every other passage in this town, um, people converge on him. They kind of swarm him. This will be annoying to me. I'll just be honest. <laughs> yes. Imagine this. Jesus is going from Capernaum in the north to Judea in the south, and every time he hits another town, this crowd comes around, and it would take him forever to get somewhere. Can you imagine, like, if we were to leave today, and we were to leave Knoxville, we were going to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and every time we crossed the town border, we got into a new group of people, and they all swarmed around us? It would take you days to get to the beach. But this is what Jesus lived with his entire life. And the amazing thing about that to me is how many times do you find that Jesus says, nope, not today? No, I'm too busy. We've got to get to never. Actually, he's even on his way to the cross. He's traveling through Jericho at one point in time. And he stops in this town to meet a man named Zacchaeus. And as he's in this town, the streets are lined. It's like a parade for Jesus. He's going down there. I would be like, man, I'm headed to the cross. I have stuff to do. I have stuff on my mind. But Jesus never locked that. Isn't that amazing? I just want to say that this morning out loud for us. Um, Jesus has stuff to do today, and I get that, but Jesus is not too busy for us today. He's not too busy for you today. He may be dealing with somebody over here, but he's not too busy for you over here. He may be talking to somebody back there, but he's not too busy for somebody up here. That's just how Jesus works. And every time we see it, we see it over and over and over again. Jesus comes up, and a lot of people come, and Jesus is never too busy. And it even says in the Word of God, this is crazy to me, um, because I, I think these things, and sometimes I don't even you know, read the next verse, and I read it like it's the first time all the time, uh, so I just kind of don't go with what I know. But it says, uh, the crowds converged on him again, and listen to this, and as usual, or and as he usually did, he began teaching them. It's a pattern in Jesus, isn't it? As Jesus was teaching, we see these Pharisees, these religious rulers, they come up into the conversation, and then they, they set out to trick Jesus, to trap Jesus. Because here's the truth. The Pharisees, the religious people, weren't big fans of Jesus. Still true today, actually. <laughs> the religious people didn't really care for Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus will blow up religion 100% of the time. Because Jesus saying about that. And the Pharisees step kind of into this conversation, and they ask Jesus a question about divorce. We're not going to talk about divorce this morning, so don't start sweating. Um, but um, they ask him this question about divorce. They want to trap him. And I was like, why in the world would they talk about divorce to trap Jesus? Because the Bible, uh, it says that it's a bad thing, but Moses writes in kind of another place that it's okay, actually, um, to divorce people. So either way, it looks like he's right, or either way, he's wrong. It doesn't really matter. And I started thinking about it and started reading about it last night. When he crossed over the Jordan into this other land, he crossed over into the land of Herod Antipas. This is a this is a guy that um, was not a big fan of anybody speaking against divorce because he was a divorcee. He didn't like it a whole bunch. And John the Baptist actually had been talking negatively about Mark 6 uh, in that area about divorce. And because of that, he was put in jail and eventually was beheaded. I think you know the story. Well, he was in the same region as this man was the ruler of. They were trying to have Jesus at this moment killed to stop the plan of God. I was like, that's crazy to me. I'm nerdy. I like this stuff. Maybe you don't care about here. Um, but they ask him this question of divorce, and Jesus talks about it. He, he wasn't shy. He wasn't, just because it wasn't popular, just because it wasn't popular opinion, he didn't keep his mouth shut and said what the Word of God said. And, and he confronted that. And he did it in love. 
And he talks about not only divorce, but he talks about God's plan actually for marriage. So if you, you want to read that or think about that, maybe in the next few verses of you sometime. And uh, after this whole section, he starts doing this weird thing. These people start bringing kids up to Jesus. Passing the babies to a politician. <laughs> they bring these babies, these kids up to Jesus, and the disciples are like, no, no, Jesus is too busy for the little kids. Jesus is too busy for the people that most of the time would go unnoticed. Jesus is too busy for blah, 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 blah. And Jesus blows that out of the water. He says, actually, I'm not bringing kids to me because that's the people that are going to be like the kingdom of God. And Jesus starts actually embracing these kids, laying his hands on these kids, and praying for blessing these kids. It's an amazing moment. It goes down right here. I think sometimes we're like, okay, Jesus likes kids. That's great. That's great. No, Jesus likes people that normally are counted out and unnoticed. Amen. Adult or kid. And we see that happen right here. Oh, he's not good enough. Oh, he can't talk to you. Oh, they don't bring him over near Jesus. He's not going to do anything. Jesus doesn't have time for him. Jesus is like, no, that's the people I want. And that's what's going on in this little section of Scripture. You're like, okay, what's that have to do with the rich young ruler? Well, I'll get there. This whole time that this section in, in 10 is going down, there's obviously a man that's sitting around watching all this go down. It's a man we're going to talk about this morning. A man who's been in earshot of Jesus for maybe a couple minutes, a couple hours, but in earshot of Jesus long enough to know, man, there's something about this guy that I, I have to be around. He, he hears the first part and he realizes, man, that Jesus obviously knows something about the Bible because Jesus, it even says in the Bible, teaches the Word of God with authority like no one else on the planet has ever taught it. That's one reason the Pharisees didn't like him. There are people who have been trained in the school to teach the Bible, yet Jesus comes along, the carpenter's son, who has no really um, idea, at least in, in their vision, what he should be doing, yet he talks about the Bible like no one ever has before. He's the greatest teacher that's ever lived. He's never been to teaching school. And they're like, man, that blows my mind. I don't like that. He's not like us. And this man's sitting around, and he's like, man, Jesus knows the Bible, man. Jesus knows the Word of God, man. He, he, he can teach this stuff. I'll just be honest with you. It's because Jesus doesn't have to look at and interpret the Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God. It's not Jesus' opinion on what the Word of God says. It's Jesus. So Jesus teaches like no one else has ever taught before, and this man sees that and draws this man to Jesus. It's amazing. The teaching, actually, aspect was a big deal for him. And then he sees how Jesus also, with this teaching, has something that the Pharisees don't have, compassion. That Jesus even looks at the least of these, these little kids that society counts out, well, they can't do anything because they're not men yet. And he still has time for them. And this man's sitting around and he's watching this, and I guarantee you something trips in him, and he's like, man, if you'll take time to talk to them, he will take time to talk to me. And apparently this whole time, this man is watching this go down. Um, he's burdened by a question that we're going to see him ask in just a second. In 13, it says that, nope, in 17, it says that as he was setting out, he capitalized here, meaning Jesus, on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him a question. Uh, I love this because this man's been sitting around asking or sitting around thinking all day, watching this thing all day, and, and, and yet he's not encountered Jesus at this point in time. And he's sitting around, am I going to ask him, am I going to go to him, am I going to whatever? And then he sees Jesus get up. Jesus is about to exit the, the building. He's about to start back on his way to Judea. And, and you can just imagine if you were this man, I've got to ask him now or I'm probably never going to get to ask him. And 
Then you see this man run up to Jesus, something that would be unheard of, especially for a rich man in this era. Men didn't run, it wasn't a dignified thing. That's why it's such a weird thing when the father runs to the son in that story. Culturally, running was not something that men did a whole lot of. I personally am okay with that. I don't think you should run unless you're Running is bad. I love you, athletic people. Um, and this man runs up and kneels down before him. I like to imagine these things. Like basically this man just throwing his body in the path of Jesus, trying to get him to stop. Kneeling is obviously a sign of humility, but so is running in this culture. And he runs up and he throws his body kind of in the path of Jesus. And, and he asks him, he starts this question, he says, Good teacher. If you're trying to butter somebody up, that's a way to do it, man. Good teacher. I don't know if that's plain or not, but if you try it for me. Later, that'd be great. Um, good teacher. Jesus is a carpenter. This is not something a lot of people were saying about him out loud in front of the Pharisees. He says, good teacher. And then he asks him this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He asks the question, actually, that's a really good question. Amen? It's not a bad question, actually. There's a world full of people that are asking that question because nobody wants to die. It doesn't sound like a fun thing. And this man comes up and he's like, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What he's really asking Jesus is, how do I get to heaven or paradise or whatever it would have been for this man? How, how do I get to there? I love this because... Ultimately, this man has just momentarily come in contact with Jesus, yet something in what Jesus did triggered in his brain that this man may have the answer to this question. Jesus was a carpenter. Jesus, looking at Jesus, didn't look like any Pharisee, didn't look like any teacher, but there was something about this Jesus that just being around him for a short time has convinced this man that Jesus will know the answer to this question. And he asked him, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to get to heaven? That's a great question, but can I translate it for you again? Jesus, what is that checklist? Jesus, what must I do? What things do I have to keep? What parts of the law do I have to fulfill to get to heaven? What he's asking really here is something that a lot of us really want to know. What's the bare minimum, Jesus? What's the bottom of the barrel to get to heaven? Like, what's the what's the base? Where's the starting point? I'm not shooting for middle or top of the barrel. I'm going for the bottom here. What's the bare minimum thing that I've got to do to make it into heaven? That's really what this guy's asking. It's really probably what a lot of us are asking. Maybe not out loud. Maybe not even in our heads. But maybe just with how we live, right? And he asks, Jesus, what's, what, do I, what do I have to do? And then I love this. Jesus does what he always does. He has a separate conversation. Um, he says, why do you call me good? This is frustrating, right? Have you ever been asked, asked a question to answer your question? It's not what you're looking for, right? Right. Like, hey, what'd you do today? What's your favorite color? That's not the deal here. I would have looked at this if I was the guy, Jesus, let's not get caught up on the details. I want to know how I get to heaven. I'll explain that part later. Like, let's not even worry about that part. Let's not get there. But here is really the important part of what he's asking. 
See, the truth is, I can ask anybody in the world how I get to heaven, and I'll get a multitude of answers, right? Yeah? yeah? yeah. I go ask any other religion, everybody has a way that you get somewhere. I go ask people that don't have religion, and they have an opinion on whether you go somewhere or not. If I ask Muslims, it's one thing. Buddhists, it's one thing. So it really just depends who he's asking in this moment. And Jesus pauses on that, and he's like, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? You don't know me. He says, no one is good but one God. In this moment, we find the answer to his question. Isn't that crazy? Jesus is going to talk a lot more after this, but he's pretty upfront with us most of the time. This man's thinking, Jesus, you're sidetracking. This is not the important part. This is not what I want to focus on. I just want to know how I get to heaven. And here in this moment, Jesus is going to answer this question. Jesus says, hey, no one is good but one, and that one is God. And that's a lot of words, isn't it? Yeah? That's a lot of words. He could have just said, no one's good but God. Only you look at that second one. Anybody's got it capitalized? Anybody? None is. I don't know if yours is or not. No one is good but one, and that one is God. What Jesus is saying in this moment is he recognizes the fact that there is one God, and that one God reveals himself in three. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff here, and then that one God reveals himself in three different persons. Uh, he's saying, man, there is only one person that is good, and that person is the Trinity that is God. The Father is good, the Son is good, and the Holy Spirit is good. That one, that unit, is good. And here's step two, you're not him. Yeah. Amen? There is one person that's good, and it's God, and you ain't him. Can we just come around that today? We just come around that thought today because here's the truth. I've been in church long enough and I felt this way sometimes long enough. We get in our mindset that we're good, don't we? But guess what? You're not. You're not good. Amen. Hallelujah. Revival is here. If we can cling to that thought, revival is going to come. I'll just be completely honest because here's the deal. You're not good. Amen. We're not good. You know why? Because there's a qualification for good and that qualification doesn't start with what you do and what you say. It's who you are. And you're not God. Therefore, you're not good. Amen. That's right. See, we get in our heads sometimes that we deserve certain things, or we should be certain ways, or we should live certain ways because we're a certain person. And the truth is, there's only one good person, and everybody else is miles and 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 miles away from that because God is up there and we ain't Him. Amen. We're not good. See, the truth is, we, compared to me, may look pretty nice. Compared to me, man, you may, you may be a high flyer. Compared to me, you may be living in holiness. Compared to me, you may have the most pure and perfect and amazing life ever on the planet. But compared to God, you don't look like that. You ever thought a bad thing? You're not God. You ever said a bad thing? You're not God. You ever been mad at somebody for a little bit? You thought bad things? You're not God. You ever said something you shouldn't? You're not God. 
you can't get that standard. You can't get that standard. That's why the angels even sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord our God. Holy is the word meaning transcendence or aboveness. It's an otherness. It's something that you can't attain. God gives us holiness. He sets us apart for himself, but God is in himself holy. Nobody had to put that on him. Nobody had to say one morning when they woke up, you know what, God's going to be holy today. That'll be great. You had to have that. Nobody had to decide one morning when they woke up, God's going to be good. Nobody had to do that. He is self-contained good. Nobody had to declare him that. He just is that. But somebody had to declare you that, and his name is God. And you're not him. And that's what God is saying to this man. This man comes and wants to check this. He wants to know, how am I going to get there? How am I going to get there? What rules do I have to keep? What things do I have to do? What do I have to not say? And God says, hey, guess what? You're not me. You're not me. See, the truth of it is we get in our heads sometimes that Christianity is a lot more about what we do than who we look to. Amen? We get in our heads sometimes that Christianity is a lot more about keeping this and this and this and this and this and this and this, and this so God will love us more. And I'll just let you know, that's heresy. That's right. That's not just wrong, that's heresy. The Bible said that you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. You can't be good enough to get undead. And the fact that we have warped Christianity to that point, and we have taught things to that point, that is heresy. See, when we teach other people that you can be good enough that God will love you more, what we're teaching other people is that you can just climb on up into the seat of God. And then we're lowering the standard of God so that we can kind of raise Him down, or lower Him down and raise us up. And the truth of it is, exactly what Jesus is saying in this moment, hey, you want to get into eternity, it all depends on who that starts with. You want to leave this place and go into some other place, man, it all depends on who that question starts with. How can I get to heaven? You can't. That's right. Because you're not God. Amen. Now, we, we quit there today, actually. We're not going to, but we could. How can you get to heaven? You can't because you're not God. You have no way, you have no bridge, you have no steps, you have no ability. You cannot build a way because you are not God. And that's what Jesus is saying to this man. This man comes with a simple question. Hey, how am I going to be good enough to get to you? And Jesus says, you can't. What's the minimum? What's the bare minimum? What's the checklist that I have to meet? You can't. Now, unfortunately, this man is just like every other character that we meet in the Bible, and it just flies right over his head. But Jesus breaks it down for him, so he just plays this game. He says, you know the commandments. I love this, because Jesus doesn't know this man. He has no idea. He's just looking at him if he knows the commandments or not. But Jesus can tell something about this man. This man is a religious man, and Jesus just drops that right in on top of us. Who else would know the commandments? A religious man. Who else would know the law of God but a religious man? He was a rich young ruler, and obviously not a Pharisee, but he was a man who tried to follow and obey the law of God. And Jesus drops that in our story because it's important to us. He says, you know the commands. And he starts listing them. Do not murder. Now, can you imagine this guy's looking for a checklist of how to get to heaven, and here Jesus is dropping the checklist <laughs> on, and he's thinking, man, this is great. And that'd be awesome this morning if I could just stand up and read you a group of things to do or to not do to get to heaven. But I can't. 
But Jesus starts listing these things. He says, do not murder. Obviously, this guy, clean cut, rich man, probably not a murderer. So he's thinking, check. What else you got? And I've never done that. That guy. <laughs> do not commit adultery. Check. Never done that. 27 watch for it. I'm adultery. I'm just kidding, I don't know that. No scriptural evidence. Do not steal. He's a rich man. Come on. Check. Do not bear false witness. So he's saying, don't lie about what your neighbor's doing. Check. Do not defraud. Don't take something that's not yours. Another word for this would be covet. That's just. Do not want something and take something that doesn't belong to you. Check. Honor your father and your mother. Well, they didn't talk to my trust fund. Check. <laughs> and then Jesus quits reading. We're what? Six commandments in? Six? We know there's at least ten. Like, that's base level. Like, walk in the room two days ago. Christianity right there. There's got to be ten. But there's actually 613, and Jesus picked six. a religious man. What he thinks just happened is Jesus dropped the big six on him. These are the ones. If I can do these, these things, maybe not much. These are the bare minimum. If I can just keep on with these, man, I've got a way. I'm getting in. And you can imagine the suspense. Like he's like, I don't know this. You got anything else? <laughs> not saying he's got a poker face. not saying anything. He said, man, this is it. I'm, I'm golden. I'm getting in. And then he, after a moment of pause, probably said to him, him being Jesus, teacher, he dropped it good, doesn't put him up anymore. <laughs> teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. Again, I'm a religious man. I'm a good man. I'm not like these other people on the screen, man. I, I've got it together. I've got my nice clothes. I've got my nice haircut, beards trimmed, ready for this thing. And I've done, my, my parents were great. They brought me up in, in church. And I've done all these things. I, I'm, Jesus, if that's it, man, I've, I'm in. <coughs> you ever thought of that? And if that's it, I'm in. If all I got to do is say that prayer, I just do whatever, man, I'm in. If all I got to do is get dunked once or twice or seven times, then I'm in. If all I got to do is show up to church, man, I'm in. If all I got to do is endure somebody talking too long for once a week. I'm in. All i got to do is stand up and sing some songs. Man, I'm in. I've got this. Here, Father. I have. Maybe not those words. I mean, that's the heart. That's the favorite minimum. Right. All i got to do is be here. All i got to do is pray that prayer. I've got done. I know it's in this time. I listen to Caleb. It's in six times. I listen to the TV for that break. I can't say anything. Check, 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 bro. Right? Like, Man, I've done I've done everything there is to do. I got this. Look at what Jesus says to this. 
21 says, then looking at him, Jesus loved him. That's where the gospel ends for most of us. Right? Check, 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 check. Jesus loves me. I read, check, Jesus loves me more. I pray, check, Jesus loves me more. I know the song, check, Jesus loves me more. I come to church, check, Jesus loves me more. That's the gospel for most of us. I just I invite you with me to read the rest of the story because if that's the gospel for most of us, we're in trouble. See, we've got in our heads somewhere that if we do these things, we can amass more love from God for us. And if I, if I just meet those marks, if I just check that box, God will love me more. And when we don't miss those, or we don't hit those marks, we're like, oh man, God hates me. That's so far from the end of the story. See what Jesus is about to do. I'll read to you in a minute. But what Jesus is about to do is he's about to say, hey, you don't have it all together. You have no idea how, man, you have no idea. You're not even at the beginning of this thing. And in that moment, Jesus loves him. It's echoed actually in Romans, right? Romans 5, 8. It's, a verse that, it's one of my favorites. Maybe we know, maybe we don't know. So I would read sinners. Christ died for us. So at our very worst moment, Jesus loved us. It's heresy to think that God loves us more than we do the right things. And it's so false. It's so far away. The Bible actually teaches us, man, when we are the biggest screw-ups, when we are at our worst, when we are at the bottom of the barrel, when we're the people that society counts out, when we're the people that say, people say, no, there's no way they're ever coming to Jesus. That's when Jesus died for us. Jesus loves those that are coming out. He loves those that are screwed up. He loves those that are sinners. And in this moment, when he's about to lay this truth, this heavy truth on this man, he does it with love, not anger, not condemnation, not hate, just correction. <coughs> in that moment, Jesus looks at this guy and he loves him. I, I bet it was the kind of love you can see. He didn't have to say it because Mark apparently knew to write about it. The words never left his face, but the eyes, they told the truth. He looks at this man with an overwhelming love for this man. Here's what he says, and I love this. He says, you lack one thing. Man, that, he listed six out of 613 commands. Six out of the big ten. He lacked more than one thing. But all these things are evolved around the same he looks at this man and says, you lack one thing. And he says, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. To which a religious man would answer back, that's not a command. Jesus, nowhere in the Old Testament does it say that I have to sell everything I have. Jesus, nowhere in the Old Testament does it say that stuff is bad. It's my stuff. It's not his stuff. It's my stuff. It's okay. I earned it. I worked for it. It's my stuff, Jesus. And that's true. I, 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 I challenge you to actually find, first of all, find all 613. Whoa. 
And then find the one that says, go sell everything you have these clothes to be for everybody that follows you before. I can't find one. See, the truth is, I don't think Jesus has any problem with money in the right context. Maybe wrong, I don't think. But see, there, there's a deeper problem here. Jesus guarantees this man two things in this moment. A, that he will get to heaven. The question was what? How am I going to get to heaven? Jesus looks at this man, he says, go sell everything you own, give it to the poor, and you will get to heaven. Not only will you get there, but you'll have treasure there. You'll have stuff that's valuable there. I don't know that that's gold. I really don't. But he guarantees this man. Wouldn't that be an amazing conversation to have with Jesus? Yeah, I know, I know that I know that I know that I know, right? He guarantees this man, you're going to be in heaven. And then he extends the best invitation that ever has been given on the entire planet. The Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, the one who was going to die on the cross, looks at this man and nobody. We don't even know his name. And he gives him these words. Come, follow me. Man, those are beautiful words. I, I don't think I think we've lost that somewhere. We figured it's torture somehow. But somehow along the line, the Savior looks at you, don't deserve it because you're not good. And he says, Come follow me. And what he's saying to that man is, Come live with me. Come hang out with me. Come get to know me. Come just walk around. Take a walk with me. Come Come, come be with me. He's inviting that man into his personal space, into his personal community, into his closest section of friends. He's inviting that man into intimacy with him. Man, we can be best friends. Follow me is not a punishment. Man, it's an invitation that you never should have gotten mad. Jesus looks at this guy and he's like, hey, let me, let me straight up with you. Go sell everything you have. Just get rid of it. And you'll get to heaven. And you're going to follow me all the way there. I will walk with you into the gates of heaven. And so we say, we'll go together. And that's beautiful. I'll just be honest. The man turns and walks away. I'll read it for you in a minute. But he turns and walks away. The invitation of Jesus is go sell everything you own, give it to the poor, so you're not going to need it, and come be with him. We'll walk to heaven again. It says the man was grieved, extremely sorrowful. Jesus gives him that kind of invitation, and he's extremely sorrowful. It says it's stunned in my version of the Bible. He's shocked. Cannot believe it. Appalled, maybe. Jaw hanging open. Like, what in the world? He was grieved or stunned as the man. And it says he went away grieving. He went away sorrowful. He went away sad. Because he had many possessions. We see this man walk away from Jesus. You can imagine the disciples standing there like, what in the world did Jesus 
You know who that guy is. Man, he's got the nicest camel, he's got the biggest house, he's got the most money. We could do some ministry with this guy, right? Like he, man, he can finance our trips. He can he can just let him do his thing. He, he can just pour money into the deal for us, Jesus. Like that's that's the disciples maybe mentality, and I know it would probably be ours. But here's the reality. Jesus loved this man. And out of that love, he could not lie to this man. This man had the opportunity to pretend to follow Jesus for the rest of his life and get to the end and realize, man, it was fake. Or Jesus could have just did what he did and shared the truth. Here's the amazing thing to me. Here are, the, here are the commandments that Jesus listed, right? Do not murder. That's maybe number 10. I think you get it in reverse order. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. And honor your father and your mother. But Jesus left out a couple of commands, didn't he? Just out of the 10. The first one that he never mentioned was, don't have any other gods before me. Second one is don't make idols for yourself. See, the reality of it is, man, I can't find the command in the Bible that says you shouldn't have money or money is bad. Can't find it. But I can find one that says don't have any other gods before me. I can find one that says don't make idols for yourself. See, the problem with this man's money was not his money, it was his heart for his money. This man had set money up as his God. That was his thing. And yes, you can be religious and have other gods. Amen? There's a world full of religious people that have other gods. There's other actual religions on the planet. I don't know if you know that. And their gods are not Jesus. But you can also be in this religion and have other gods. It's like the woman at the well. I've got my little well right here, and now Jesus is here, so I expect a different result, right? Just dump that bucket down in the same well and grab out that living water. See, it's not a possibility. See, the problem with religion is religious allow, or religion allows us to follow the rules while keeping ourselves. And Jesus looks at this religious man, a good man, a moral man, a probably just man, a man that probably looking at him, if he were to sit in this room, he would blend in and he would look amazing and maybe he would even stand out. Maybe he could even stand up here. But at the center of his heart, the greatest pursuit in his life could never be God because someone else was already sitting on the throne of that moment. And that was his moment. He made an idol out of his possessions and his idolatry caused him in the face of Jesus giving him the greatest invitation ever on the planet. Follow me to walk away. And see, that's hard to hear from me because the truth is, man, there's probably several of us 
that have the ability to walk in this room every single week and sit in chairs every single week and raise our hands every single week and do the thing every single week and be religious every single week and maybe some of you guys look better than everybody else in this place but I just want to let you know if the greatest pursuit in your life is not Jesus if you're meeting the bare minimum with Jesus so that you can do all this other stuff I just want to let you know man you are in danger And the truth is, idolatry is rarely golden statues anymore. Amen? It'd be easy if I walked to your house and there was like a golden bull in your living room, right? Oh, great. He's an idolater. That would be easy. In reality, probably the only person on the planet that knows that's true for you is you. But this morning, I just want to say this to us. Man, if Jesus is truly the greatest pursuit on the planet, if he is the thing, if he's the only thing that's eternal, he's the only thing that's going to launch us from this rock into eternity, if he's really that thing, then we got to quit getting caught up and clinging to other things. Why do you call me good? Because I am. That's what Jesus is saying. Why do you call me good? Because I am God. And that is not God. Why do you call me good? Do you, do you call your money good? Because it's sitting on the throne of your heart. See, the truth of it is right now, man, uh, I know that I don't, I don't even have to hit everything. I'm, I'm just going to stay on money because there are some of us right now that know, man, this is me. And if I start listing off things, if I start popping off things, I'm going to miss somebody and you're going to continue to live there because I didn't call you out on it. So I just, I just want to check it maybe this way. What do you spend the most time thinking about? What do you spend the most time running toward? What do you spend the most time doing? What do you spend the most time talking about? Because that's what you love. And if the answer for those questions wasn't Jesus, you've got something you need to tear down this morning. In the Old Testament, the only cure for idolatry was to completely stamp it out. You know that? Some kings, they'd come in and they would just take down some things, and you know what happened, and people would turn right back. There was a king that he come in and not only did he tear down the poles and tear down the statues. And he killed all the priests and he tore down the temple. That's the only way to get rid of an idol. You don't do it little by little by little. You don't do it chisel by chisel by chisel. You take it and you grind it and you burn it. You throw it in the river and you let it wash away. This morning, um, This morning my prayer is that you just examine yourself. That, that you that you right now let's, let's just do that. You just take a moment and think, man, what what is it? What do I think about it?
Well, what do you want to talk about with me? What, what am I pursuing? What am I running for? What, what have I given my life to? What's on the throne of my heart? What's sitting there? And I just want you to ask yourself this question. Is that God? Whatever's on your heart. 